Welcome to Upward Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. Just a quick reminder that if you have not listened to the four-part mini-series at the beginning of this podcast, it has been completely revamped in the past three weeks or so. So if you listen to it before that or haven't listened to it at all, it'd be great if you'd go and check that out. It's getting great feedback. Season four is all about recognizing people who have a passion for helping dogs. In this episode, we meet Tanya Schmidt of Extraordinary Galgos and Pedencos, whom I've known for a couple of years. I met her through a man who takes in rescued Galgos here in Regina. And then I met Tanya a few years ago when I traveled to Montreal to transport dogs back to Regina that she had brought from Spain. Tanya has volunteered helping with Galgo Rescue Organizations since 2013, and she spearheaded Extraordinary Galgos and Pedencos in 2016. What are Galgos, and why do they need people like Tanya? Stay tuned and find out. And the snippet tip following that is on why it is not necessarily your fault if you feel you need to rehome your dog. Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host and successful dogologist for three decades. And today I have again my co-host, David L. Helsell. Hey, David. Hi, Billy. Thanks for having me again. Thanks for being here. So we have Tanya, who's hanging out in Montreal, who is getting ready, actually, to go to Portugal to get dogs from Spain. So we're really fortunate to have her take her time today to talk to us. Hi, Tanya. Hello, Billy. Hello, David. Hi, Thank Tanya. You for Thanks for joining me. us. Thank you for having me, and thank you for highlighting the plight of the Spanish dogs. Yeah, well, we're, we're really keen on sharing all this information with everyone. Before you take off to get more dogs, you had a, a group of dogs come in yesterday as well, did you? Yes, and uh, over the past two and a half weeks, we had 17, no, 19 dogs who came. Oh my gosh. Already. Wow, good for you. We, we have a total of 37 to bring um, at the end of the, this operation. It's uh, the dogs that were stuck in Spain because of the COVID, that were reserved before the COVID. Oh. So, so these ones have homes already. So when you yeah. bring in dogs, they have homes. Yes, this time they all have homes. Uh, we sometimes bring dogs in homes, dogs that are invisible or dogs that uh, have more uh, difficulties, you know, too shy, scared. We brought them, we bring them into um, experienced uh, foster homes so that they can... Um, blossom and uh, be ready to be adopted by families and also oh, for some so families great. to yeah. see them. That's really, really great. Yeah. Let's start with what is a galgo? A galgo is a sighthound. There is over 20 different breeds of sighthounds oh. and a uh, galgo is just one of them. They look very much alike the greyhounds. 
right. but they are much linear than the grounds and um, they're not as heavy as the grounds if you compare the two it would be like comparing a sprinter that's quite bulky which would be the greyhound and uh, with the galgo that is the marathonian and that is uh, much skinnier so galgos are made for endurance they can walk and and uh, run for a very long distance for a long time while the greyhounds they are sprinters so okay so how fast does a galgo run and for how long uh, a galgo can run 32 33 miles per hour Holy and God. he can yeah and uh, see the greyhounds they they go 35 36 miles per hour and um they can run for easily two hours wow yeah okay so if someone so when, one, when, when one gets loose it's a problem because it can go <laughs> very far very fast very far very fast i guess yeah so if if somebody wants to adopt one you know, I there is a man in Regina that we both know very well, Garson and, and his wife, Susan. They yes. have uh, quite a few galgos, and they, they're couch potatoes. I mean, when they were younger, I used to take them to the off-leash park, and they ran around, but they, you know, they don't maybe need as much exercise as people think. Exactly. They, they can have two, three little runs in the yard for 10, 15 minutes, and they're very happy with that. You know, they have the capability to run very fast and very long, and that's why they're used in Spain for uh, hunting the hare. Uh, but in fact, that's not, you know, they don't, they don't want that. They want to be in the comfort of a home and be a family dog and go out to play with their siblings or, or with their family. But they don't need to be so so intensively uh, trained as the as the uh, galgeros, which are the hunters. Uh, they do, you know. And why do they need rescuing and help? Is that because of the galgeros? Well, yes, the galgeros are the hunters who hunt with galgos. That's how they're called in Spain, and. Um, their tradition is to have about 20, 25 uh, galgos each. Wow. And, um, and uh, there are competitions and uh, for the best ones, the best hunters. And um, at the end of the hunting season, they discard the ones that are um, the less productive, the less successful. And so every year at the end of the hunting season, there is between 70,000 and 100,000 of galgos that are um, this, that are this, um, how you say, that are abandoned nice. or killed. Yeah, they're killed. Spain. Yeah. 70 to 100,000. Yeah, so and they, they yes, just. It's terrible. Yeah. And they don't necessarily do that humanely, do they? Oh, no. So they can be hung. Uh, they call this the piano dance. They put the cord high so that the, the dog can still have his paw at, you know, at the, the top of the, the end of his paw touching the, um, the ground. And once, and it, 
once the dog gets too tired and give up, then it gets hung. So it can take up to two, three days. Oh, uh, oh. They, they put them in wells. They put them in garbage bags and put them in rivers. Uh, or they abandon them while breaking their, their legs so they can't find the way home. Um, there's no... They also there's drag no, them behind the trucks too. Yes, that's for their training. That's how they train them, supposedly train them. And if one, if one uh, falls, they still continue to drive and the dog dies. Yeah. 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 Besides, it's oh, complete. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a money, it's a sport, is it? It's considered a sport there or is they, it? They call it a sport. And um, what is sad is that uh, a lot of people highly, um, uh, with uh, lots of power in the, in the society in Spain, they are Galgaros. So you have judges, lawyers, uh, mayors, policemen, etc., who are Galgaros. So it's very difficult to be able to change things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And what are the rescues like in Spain? Rescues in Spain are mostly driven by Spanish people. And uh, they do bring in as many dogs as they want. And then they try to find to find homes for this. Because in Spain, a little bit, but algos are not considered as, um, as family pets. They are considered like uh, farm animals, work animals. So they prefer their dogs to go to other countries. And they are not, uh, they get no subvention, no money whatsoever from the government. They are only, um, only uh, sponsored by private donors. And by donations. They get yeah. adoption Wow, that Yes, adoption fees. And uh, these, the rescue organizations, oops, we're losing you here for a little bit. We're having a bit of a bad connection. Sorry, people. Oh, you there? Yes. Okay, good. So yeah. the, the rescues, I mean, I've, I've been in touch with a few of them over there and they seem to, some are bigger and have a few more um, resources. resources, thanks, Damon, <laughs> than other ones. Some are, are, you know, scrambling just to get buckets to, to give water to the dogs. Mm -hmm. Well, in fact, there are a few uh, rescues that are driven by foreign people and that have uh, very good marketing yes. and uh, they get, of course, much more donations. Yeah. Well, that's great that they're doing that. Uh, we, we at uh, Extraordinary Gagos and Podencos, we work with the local um, the local uh, shelters. We do not work with the people, the foreign people. Right. So we really help the shelters who need it the most. Good. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's great. 
Uh, I forgot to ask you, you should maybe let us know what a Padenko is. A Padenko is also in the, in the same class as the, as the Gargoyles. It's a sighthound. Uh, it comes uh, from um, Africa at first. It's one of the most ancient breeds. Uh, if you look at the pharaon, the Sphinx, they look a lot like uh, this dog. Um, they are very, um, very strong dogs. Uh, they have very high prey, and, uh, but they're the clones of the dogs. Uh, there's nothing a Podenko likes better than to please his mister, his, uh, his owner, his yeah. family, and to make them laugh. <laughs> oh. oh, they have a little bit of a clown side to them. They have. <laughs> oh, yes, very much. And uh, they have a lot of energy. They have more energy than the gargoyles. Yeah, but they're smaller. Hello? They are smaller. Uh, not all of them. There are different, uh, different types of the. Uh, Podenkos. The Podenko Maneto is very, very small, and it's about 15 pounds, 12 to 15 pounds. And then you have, uh, it, it, there's a whole variety, and you go to the Podenko Canario, that could be 50, 60 pounds, and oh. that's as tall as a galgo. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, okay. range. Yeah, that is. So do you also help the rescue organizations over there? Do you fundraise? Yes, we do fundraising uh, for different, you know, occasions. It could be to help simply a shelter, but it could be also to help special projects or special dogs that they would rescue that would need some extra care. Uh, right. We help for things like uh, once we, we helped, uh, we fundraised for a van for Galgos en Familia because uh, before it, they were uh, transporting the dogs uh, to the vet and to the airport and everything with the volunteers' cars. So oh, we have fundraised to incredible let them buy a van. Organization which, involved. You know. Yeah, so that van. And uh, we do different. Hmm. Great, yes. okay. Yeah, the van was here. How many dogs come to Canada per year through your organization? Last, last year, we brought 135 dogs wow. from Spain. And right. uh, it's important to say also that, uh, yes, we help Galgos and Podencos, and that's our, that's our, um, our name. And, uh, you know, we help mostly the hunting dogs, these two hunting dogs. But we also help other breeds of dogs in Spain, like the Mastins, who are big Mastiff, and uh, who are also working dogs and are very uh, suffering very much. You yes. do not find as many of them, but you know there are some in need. We help them as well, and we help also mixes. Uh, we have um, a special program uh, within G GEP that is the Compassionate Adoption. So we would select a few dogs that are invisible or that are old or that are sick or that are, you know, waiting for so many years that nobody would ever get interested in them. 
And uh, we find families for these dogs here in Canada, and we do not ask for any um, adoption fees. So oh, wow. it's wow. our wow. private funding. That's fantastic. Yeah. I don't think a lot of, I mean, I've known you for years and I actually, I've met you because I've come to Montreal to get, get dogs to transport them. And I yes. didn't know that you had that program. So that's, yes. that is very, very, very good. And you're all volunteer. We should say that. Yes. Yes, it's only volunteer-based. We have we are a non-for-profit, uh, registered, fully registered association, and uh, there's no salary. <laughs> there's yeah. no money to make there. Right. So, but uh, we have a, a very strong team, very good team of very dedicated people, and uh, that's it's, fantastic. Uh, wow! So happy Amazing to be what you guys do. Um, how can people help with the plight of the Galgos? and Padankos. Or your organization, the, how can yeah. well, well, people can first of all get, um, get educated, do some research and see what's the play on, you know, on, the, on the internet. They can go to see our website also, okay. uh, which is extraordinarygalgosandpadankos.org uh, and uh, they can spread the word. Because at the end, once, uh, you know, we, we like to bring dogs, but we would like not to have to bring dogs. Uh, we would like that to, to end, to stop. And one of the way is to have international pressure on the Spanish government because this country is living basically on tourism. So the more people know, the better it is. Then if you want to help, you can adopt or you can foster. Exactly. Or you can volunteer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can volunteer in many different ways, uh, doing home visits. You can, when we have application in your area, you can be a flight patron. You can go volunteer at the shelters. Yeah. And uh, you can help when you do fundraising. There are so many, so many ways to help. Some people knit, some people paint. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I actually I talk a lot about the your organization and the the plight of the Galgos in my book as well, and talk about different ways that you can help out. And I and also I think the, you know the need to just change tradition when tradition is causing harm to animals, it it needs public pressure to to change, and it's so important. So there's a lot of different. To say majority of the people, yeah. Whoops, sorry. The, the vast majority of the Spanish people are, are. Do you hear me? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Can you hear it's us? important to say yes. That the majority of the Spanish people are against the, are against uh, the yeah. uh, hunting, hunting with goggles and that, that type of tradition, and they suffer a lot. They're the people in the shelter rescuing these dogs being, you know, so badly treated. And, and, and a lot of the challenges as well, there's a lot of flooding in Spain and that causes a lot of challenges for the rescue organizations. Yes, uh, a few years ago, the, there was a big flood at Gargos en Familia and they, they had to go with little boats to go get the dogs and the dogs were, a volunteer went there and 
put all the dogs uh, over a container, a big uh, maritime container. Otherwise, they would have all been uh, drowned, killed yeah. by the by the. Yeah, so like the, the water was eventually up to chest. Yes, exactly. So eventually, at some point, we will need to help them fundraise to to build a shelter in a proper area that is you know high enough not to get uh, flooded. Yeah, yeah. So, safer. But that's yeah. that, that's my dream, you know. It's down the road. <laughs> well, it's a good dream. It's a good dream. We're we're trying to help help with that. So uh, so we've come to the tail end question. Can you share yes. with us something you have learned from dogs or a dog that is life changing or inspirational to you? Yeah. Well, I can talk to you about my dog, uh, Dancer. Uh, he's a Galgo, obviously. And uh, he came to me as a foster. And when he came to me, he was uh, two years old. He had spent one year in the, what they call a sanctuary rehabilitation center. But he was so scared that only when I would look at him, he would pee on himself. Yeah. And uh, it was really terrible. And uh, this dog, once he put his paw in, in my home, he started to change day after day, week after week. Uh, it, it was incredible. And um, he had bad teeth. So after two months, he was with me. I took him to the vet and had him, his teeth cleaned. And uh, when he woke up from the anesthesia, the vet called me and told me, you have to come now. We're afraid he's going to escape. Uh, he's like a deer. He's screaming, etc. And so I went to the vet. And uh, when I was talking to the receptionist at, at the entrance, he heard me and he stopped screaming. I went to see him and he was only not even two months with me. And uh, so I went to pick him up, put him in my car, and then he fell asleep. Oh. And then he stayed. And then when I took him in at my place, he, 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 he slept for a good two, three hours. And so I realized that uh, he was trusting me and he chose me. Mm. So I decided that I was going to keep him. Oh, that's and, cool. uh, and how long have you had him? Uh, since, uh, so it's been five years. Oh. Five years, great. Yeah, and Dancer's uh, a beautiful dog. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, oh, that's great. And since yeah. that, now he's, now he's helping foster dogs who are coming here. He shows them how to be a family dog, hmm. and no one would have ever imagined that Dancer could be social, could be playful. Could... So my lesson is that there's always hope. With even the hardest trauma cases, there's always hope. And when you give them love and good, uh, good treatment, when you treat them well, they give you everything. And they have, you know, because they are the most resilient animals ever. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And thank you for what you do. Yeah. That's fantastic and gives everybody hope. 
Yeah, and and thanks for taking the time because I know yeah we know that you're, you're <laughs> very busy. You're just going to Portugal. Yeah, today. you're just going to Portugal <laughs> today. So we wish you all the best, and we'll have yeah. all the links in the show notes, and people can follow you on uh, Facebook and Instagram and find out everything that you're doing. And it's just fantastic. Thank and you let so much. People know what's happening and put pressure on the Spanish yeah. government. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tanya. Take care. It's me. It's me. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much to Tanya for taking the time to share her knowledge and experience with us. And thanks to David, again, as my co-host. Those dogs that Tanya deals with, they have a tough go. And people who help them, they really see some really bad shit, as a lot of their rescues do. So big thank you goes out to everyone over there in Spain and everywhere who's helping all those dogs in need. Tanya touched on the top uh, topic of knowing when it is the right thing to do to rehome your dog. I deal with this a lot. Most people who hire me are at their wits end. They've had a number of trainers. I hear them say I've tried everything. I hear that a lot. I'm open and honest about how I work with my clients and their dogs because there are so many variables and there is not one right way to work with a dog. Although the Upper Dogology platform allows us to progress and work with the dog in a way that works for that dog. I rely on people communicating with me and implementing the exercises. We start working together and this allows them to make an educated decision as to what is best for them, their family, and for the dog. Frantic decisions made after a dog bites or their home is ripped apart or the dog loses its shit on the end of a leash, sending the person crashing to the pavement are never good times to make a decision. We need to apply the techniques, see the changes, read the dog, and then my client can learn if the dog suits them and if not, what the best home would be for that dog. There is no pass or fail, and I never judge my clients. Humans have varying degrees of patience, and their goals vary. This often depends on lifestyle of the people and how busy they are or who else is involved. And perhaps their lifestyle changed. I cannot make dogs like all things and love everyone, but we can work together to make educated decisions, and if the dog would be better suited elsewhere, then the homing process is calm and successful and in the better interest of everyone. This is not to say that most of my clients rehome their dog. They don't. Most are surprised and elated that they can actually keep their dog. But if they choose to rehome, the program goes with the dog because this helps with a successful rehoming. And I talk about transferable skills and building the platform in um, snippet tips over the last few episodes and throughout the podcast and in the uh, four-part mini-series at the beginning of the podcast. Many rescuers and fosters know that dogs find their own homes and people, literally. I have had rescue dogs that literally do that, ones that were really not big fans of meeting new people, but for some reason took to that one person. That happened with one of my Mexi rescues, and she now lives with a client that she met when they took me out for a beer when they came into the city for a doctor's appointment. Another dog from over 20 years ago was a small dog who uh, took a shining to one of my big rescued dogs uh, that I had kept. And whenever I tried to home her, she would just hide. Like in one home, she lid, hid in the turtle tank. So I decided my rescued dog could have her own rescued dog. So that dog stayed with us. Another one of my rescues from Costa Rica 
really did not want to be with anyone. She would hide or take off. And everyone said, oh, you're going to have to keep her. You're going to have to keep her. But she now lives in a home in Regina and she loves her peeps. And they have the perfect lifestyle for her. So if you have the best of intentions to adopt a dog and for some reason the dog does not fit your lifestyle, that may be okay. Don't beat yourself up over that. Dogs from breeders do not always have the personality that suits the family or the family lifestyle. It really grinds my gears when two things, two things really grind my gears. Either people get blamed for not having enough patience or have not done the training or the work, which is often true, but not always. Sometimes it's just not a good match. And that's why when we work together, we can make that decision or my client can. I talk about productive patience in my book. People need to see improvement and feel as though they are the right home for their dog and that the, the way that they're working with the dog is on the right track. What really annoys the crap out of me is when people say that when positive reinforcement training does not work, then the dog needs to be either euthanized or surrendered. Like 95% of my clients have had positive reinforcement trainers before me. They've hired them and they are good positive reinforcement trainers and my clients are applying it correctly. So it's not their fault. It's just that positive reinforcement training and, and a lot of methods we need to adjust and adapt. Otherwise, they're limiting, ineffective or counterproductive. And what the dog world needs to promote to people is that this is common knowledge to have to advance from positive reinforcement training to applying upper dogology using cognitive behavioral therapy. And this allows you to make that educated decision. You're learning about your dog. I see things from both sides. I have clients who have dogs either from puppyhood or adopted their dog after six months of age. And I'm close with many rescue organizations. They all face challenges. I know Upper Dogology has helped fosters and rescue organizations and hundreds of clients for decades. And my goal is it for, for it to continue to do that on a greater scale. So please help spread awareness by sharing this podcast. For more information, please listen to the four-part mini-series at the beginning of this podcast and take a listen to the other episodes. Follow me on Instagram and on Facebook. Both of those are Upward Dogology. They have tons of videos and you'll see clients just, just like yourself, real-life people. I have material coming in every day. Take the time to learn. Do not rush to your end goal of quick-fixing your problems. Thanks again to the Jeff Murdoch Band for the great music. You can find them on Facebook and YouTube. My book is on Amazon. All of this info is in my show notes. Enjoy your learning journey. Uh -huh.